0: Welcome back to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 101. Daniel Fazzotti describes himself as a product engineer who always found himself frustrated by the ground constraints of innovation systems. So, he took a 30,000-foot view perspective and decided to work on innovating the systems themselves to help facilitate both visionary and nitty-gritty innovation. He talked with Brian about Ideal London, China's involvement in European innovation, and -and up-and-coming trends Daniel is witnessing in the UK. Reach out to him on Twitter at FuzzyDaniel. The Inside Outside Innovation Summit is right around the corner, happening May 29th through the 31st. It's not too late to grab a ticket at theiosummit.com. With over 20 amazing keynote speakers and 500 attendees, Lincoln, Nebraska will be the hub of collaborative innovation. Don't miss it.
1: Tell us a little bit about uh, Idea London and and, and what's going on out there.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, So it all started in about 2013 when the prime minister at the time, David Cameron, uh, said, you know what, we need to promote tech in London. there, there's a, there are a lot of companies here. They spend a lot of money. There are a lot of startups, but we don't have a central area like they do in in, in the U.S., like Silicon Valley. There's no central brand, mm-hmm. and so it started with a designation of a zone of East London, the sort of hip, up and coming area, and it was designated as Tech City. And so, the two founding partners, UCL and Cisco, got together uh, from a long historical relationship that they've they've had. For, for many years to build this innovation center. And the gap in the market is around corporate innovation. Now it's a little bit different, um, and this there's this it's a huge it, it'd be a totally different discussion to talk about why this is the case. But compared to the US, um, interaction between super small companies and super big companies in, in Europe is a struggle, I'd say, to say the least. Um, and so there's there was this gap when it came to support of, of small companies that was identified and these two institutions got together and thought to themselves, okay, well, we've got all this resource. And Cisco thought, okay, we've got, um, we want to keep an eye on what's on the horizon. And UCL came at it as being the sort of the reckless maverick um, university that they've always been. Um, They want to take their wealth of knowledge and heritage and put it out there in the world rather than keep it up in the traditional uh, ivory tower. So they got together and they they, they built this center um, in, in, in central London. And we're right next to the um, Bloomberg headquarters where they film Bloomberg in, in London. Uh, we're right next to all the startups in Google Campus. And also the, the Google, Google Campus is a, is, a, is, a, is a large innovation center um, just across the road from us. Um so we're we're in the heart of it. Like we're also down the road from the Amazon headquarters, their European headquarters. And yeah, so we've been here since 2013 and we're currently expanding.
1: And it's it's a not only space but it's programming around that as well, correct?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Instead of just another accelerator because London is littered with them. Um it's actually uh, a space where to get in you need to be championed by one of the partners. And those partners need to see whether something can be commercialized or whether they can contribute um, to that serve a meaningful way. And we tend to bring in startups that are post accelerator. So they've mm-hmm. already, they've already had some revenue um, they're past the idea stage. Um, and there's something that we can bring to them and push them to the next stage. So in total so far, I'd say we've uh, of all the startups that we've had inside of our center, I think collectively they've raised just shy of hundred million.
1: That's amazing. Uh, so it started in 2013. So I'd imagine the landscape has changed quite a bit since then. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's, you know, what's different, what's changed, what's uh, the same and and how do you see it uh, moving forward?
2: Yeah. So um, I'd say there's, there's a change in the tone and the, and, and the gear that things are operating at now. Back in 2013, there was the the financial crisis, the, the recovery was still, was still happening from the financial crisis. There was a, a lot more uh, excitement around encouraging people to reskill and to get into to sort of riskier uh, riskier business like starting mm-hmm. a startup. And now it's it's taken as almost for granted. Like, of course, uh, starting a startup is a risky thing. It's exciting, but the recovery has happened. And now there's a, there's a normalization happening. Um, and so what I think is what has changed the most is that this normalization has resulted in a lot less of the classic, I'm going to start an app kind of startup right? and gone more into, I'm going to solve really, really difficult problems kind of startup. And I can't just do it by having a developer and a little, and a designer sit on the, uh, sit on a coffee stool in Starbucks. Right. Um, Much more now. you need a lot more collaboration and you also need the type of collaboration, which I think there's the notion of like being in this, in, in, a, in a coffee shop, disrupting things from afar, being able to affect entrenched entities. And I think that's changed. I think now it's, now let's collaborate with the entrenched entities. Now the entrenched entities realize that they are entrenched and that disruption will happen. And, it's fascinating to see, and 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 we'll talk about this in a little bit, like some of the some of the activities that we're involved in. It's fascinating to see these entrenched entities actively try, like proactively try to anticipate their own disruption by mm-hmm. getting in the game early. Right. You know, it's trying to prevent being Napsterized, you know. Right, exactly. um, and despite despite having that pre-existing knowledge that that's gonna happen it's remarkably difficult to sit around a table with the smartest people in a particular industry to see them struggle and identify where this impending disruption is going to happen and how to accommodate for it. Absolutely. Uh, so, I think, so, so I think to answer your question, I think in as in 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 succinctly as possible, there's a lot less appy kind of startups happening and a lot more uh, collaborative uh, ventures happening.
1: And that's, I think, that's the case over here in the in uh, the U.S. as well. You know, the the low hanging fruit of kind of spinning some things up, and you know, things like the iPhone obviously opened up a brand new ecosystem for these new businesses to kind of kind of pop up. But you're right; I think the the move is more towards collaborative efforts and bigger problems and some of that kind of stuff. Uh, some of the other changes, you and I had a chance to talk earlier. Some of the other changes it sounds like are happening are especially in Europe is this influx of uh, China and China and uh, their move to innovation and, and moving not only in their own backyard but uh, in Europe and other places so talk a little bit about what you're seeing with regard to China's role in innovation in, in Europe and and how you're seeing that uh, play out
2: this is as I'm sure your listeners will know um, it's it's long harped on about the, the you know the the impending rival uh, and domination of not only Chinese money, but the Chinese consumer. I think we're living in an amazing time where we're seeing two things. We're seeing China trying to open itself up as a viable market for foreign companies to enter um, that aren't, you know, they're not Apple, right? They're not, they're not, they don't have the best lawyers in the world uh, protecting them. They're trying to they're trying to make themselves attractive for regular companies to be able to enter and to and to run a business. But at the same time, they are so large as a market that they are able to keep the walls up and still make a, a business internally inside of their own market. So they're trying to take advantage of an open innovation model that I think we enjoy here in the rest, in, in the West. Which means, you know, that an open innovation model that, 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 that relies on a free market, that relies on uh, free, free flowing of information, uh, that relies on a social contract that, that is understood in, in the Western market. So they're, they're, they're consciously taking advantage of that and then ultimately seeing where are the holes in that model, what has not been protected. And even if it is protected, how can I bring that over to China, put the walls back up and then go on my <laughs> merry way? it's an amazing time. Like um, I'm constantly uh, interacting with uh, delegations coming over from China, looking to uh, cooperate when it comes to intellectual property, when it comes to research. And I, of course I assume positive intent at every, at at every moment, but I I can't help. And when I, when I see the headlines, with regards to the ZTE stuff that's going on Mm -hmm. uh, and the trade department in the U S the Broadcom uh, Qualcomm deal, uh, that was quashed earlier in the year, um, and always, uh, of course, the the longstanding uh, issues with with Huawei as a supplier into into the U.S. and the U.K. I, I can't help but think that on a national level, there is no mechanism to marshal these these deals, and because of that, you see the sort of these these aid kind of arrangements happening between. Between Chinese-owned uh, enterprises, or Chinese companies, or even the Chinese government itself, um, and foreign companies, it's sort of we 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 we're looking for precedent, right? You're you're looking uh, you're looking for okay. Uh, Apple was able to go into China, and they're able to sell their products successfully, and that means that they're able to sell cloud services. That means that other tech, like major tech companies, should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But somehow that isn't the case it seems to be on a case it seems to be happening on a case-by-case basis there doesn't seem to be any precedent being set and are you seeing Um,
1: kind of the rise of of chinese entrepreneurs themselves coming over to europe and, and starting up shop in europe or are you seeing it more from the standpoint of coming over and trying to partner and bring those technologies or people back to china
2: i see both um yeah i certainly see both i think there's much more at the moment I think the attraction, if you're a Chinese entrepreneur, is to come over here, get the leg up over over your colleagues back in China by Mm -hmm. getting privileged relationships in the West, locking those down. So again, taking advantage of the social contracts that exist over here and being fully aware that those those are going to be respected because they happened over here, and then taking those back to China. And then because, because of the nature of the business and because of the nature of what was built, they have the leg up over in their, in, in, in their home territory.
1: Right, to expand it and build into their existing large marketplace.
2: Right. So it's, it's taking advantage of super open market over here and then super closed down market over there.
1: So talk to us a little bit. So we've talked a little bit of a couple the couple of trends you've seen, obviously with the, the change in the, the startup environment, um, the more collaborative corporate environment, getting involved in, in startups and that the, the rise of China and some of the things going on um, from that perspective. Are there any other kind of trends or, or things that you're looking for uh, in the, innovation ecosystem that uh, you think are going to be playing out in the next few years that people should be aware of?
2: If I, if I think about our local market here, and when I when I think when I say local market, I obviously am talking about the greater European single digital market. So I would say there's a real opportunity at the moment um, to solidify Europe as a talent pool for artificial intelligence. I think it, they're uniquely placed in this particular technology because because it's a it's a horizontal technology, right? It goes across sectors, and and because it's a technology that is dependent on great minds, with very you need very. It's not very capital intensive. It is valuable, and that's not to say that a lot of money hasn't been thrown at it with crazy valuations. But it's not capital intensive in the in the ways that you could only raise money for this type of technology if you were in the U.S. or you were in China or you were in India. So it's different than, than previous waves, I would say. So there's an opportunity for Europe to solidify itself. And the, London, if you look at the deals that have gone through in AI in the past probably four years, th- there's a disproportionate amount of money, particularly in, in AI, that's been spent in London. Uh It is... I would say a AI capital of Europe. If you look at just the proportion, it's I would I would I would go so far, and I'll, I'm I, I'm happy to be corrected, but I would say just by per capita, it's probably AI capital of the world.
1: Excellent. Well, I know I know you're busy with a lot of different things going on in the ecosystem. I know you're a mentor at uh, Startup Bootcamp, and, and there's a lot of like you said a lot of accelerators, a lot of other things going on in London. Is there anything else kind of uh, on the horizon or things uh, people should know about uh, if they're either passing through London or uh, would like to understand uh, what's going on in Europe when it comes to innovation, other things that you've seen or or, or, are excited about being a part of moving forward? Yeah,
2: I mean, so I'm super excited about the the stuff that we're working on now. So there's two two things that I spend sort of 50% of my time on at the moment, and that's EdTech Accelerator called Educate. And that's essentially uh, um, pulling in the best in the business along with academia to uh, encourage ed tech startups to build products across the UK. Hmm. It's a really unique collaboration between the Institute of Education. So they're the, I think they just got rated, again, number one institute in the world that studies the efficacy uh, of a particular approach to education. If you look at the size of the market for education, in particular, uh, again, talk, thinking about China, it's massive. It's an area that I think is underserved, particularly in education. If you look at the big tech companies and how they've approached uh, and, and sort of tried to reapproach education uh, recently, they're still they're st- the book is still to be written. I think Apple's recent push shows that they're, they're having a rethink on how to, uh, how to, uh, how to deal with it um, from a hardware perspective and a software one right. and, uh, and and Google as well. Um, so I think uh, I think that there's a there's a watch this space warranted for the edtech space. The other thing which I alluded to earlier is anticipating disruption. Um, and I think this is a topic that if I zoom out even more call it even a 60,000 foot view. I think that is that's something that really hit me recently where you've got you know sitting around a table with the top law firms in the UK, sort of, the, you know, the, the best, the best. These are the, these are the law firms that, you know, they defend criminals, but they also write to corporate law and they, they have probably, they, they've contributed to writing laws uh, for the European Union, so, mm-hmm. you know? You know? Um, so these are the, this is the, the creme de la creme and they're in the same room and they're saying, you know what, our industry is about to be disrupted. We know right. this. Natural language processing uh, is getting really good. Uh people are able to get you know written documents as if it was written by a lawyer, but it's actually written by a machine. Right. So you've got these people around the table, and they're genuinely wondering, how are we going to anticipate this disruption? How do we do it? So UCL and these and these law firms, along with Barclay's uh, the bank, Barclay's Eagle Labs, have put together a collaboration called the um, Barclays Legal Tech Hub is what we're calling it at the moment. And that is essentially for this industry, the legal industry, to set a theme for how they they see their industry, how they see their industry is going to be disrupted. And you can see sort of this, you can see how some people are thinking, okay, maybe it'll be disrupted because things will get that much easier because we'll use chatbots for everything. Or maybe it'll be disrupted because people will want. They'll just want to Google everything, and they'll want it for free. And oh my God, what are we going to do to our billable hours? <laughs> <laughs> and nobody wants to. Nobody wants to go back as head of innovation from their respective law firms and say, "Guys, the billable hours are not going to happen anymore.
1: The model doesn't work anymore." Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, like so. So sitting around this table and and genuinely trying to come up with a structure whereby incoming startups can collaborate with you. What do they do? Do they shadow your company? Do they understand your workflow? Do they build tools to replace you or do they build tools to augment you? I think never before, if you looked at any other industry, has there been such collaboration?
0: That's the end of another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Daniel for the great conversation. Let us know what you're looking forward to at the summit at the IO podcast on Twitter. Until next time, go out and innovate.